we have vendors come in and present to us all the time. I present to partners all the time. Hey, we're here to make money. We're here to help customers. And let's boil that down. If you can't explain that in a simple way, your partnership's probably going to have some challenges. Some of our greatest partnerships have come from organizations that have standard service catalogs, but there are some adjacent services that their customers would really like them to support that they don't. They call us in to help augment what they're doing. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Incident Report presented by Quest Technology Management. I'm Paul Burke, Director of Technology Communications. Every week, I'm joined by VP of Sales and Partnerships, Adam Burke. The Incident Report brings you conversations with thought leaders, business innovators, and channel mavericks to help you stay productive and agile in a changing technology landscape. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Incident Report. I think this is episode 38. Adam, help me out. Adam is my co-host. He's sitting across from me. So Adam, it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Paul. Excited to be here. As always, excited for our 38th episode of The Incident Report. Last week was a lot of fun. CVX 2022 in Scottsdale. That was really cool. Just sitting around talking, but now we're, we're doing this back on Zoom. We did have We did have some special guests last week. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode while we were at CVX, Please listen to it. We had national partner managers on there. We had Gary Schick on there, VP of marketing, Darcy Baker. It was a lot of fun. Good episode. Really fun conversation. It was like an origin story. It was like a Marvel origin story for each one of them. And and equally as exciting as, as the Stanley classics. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any Stanley cameos though, but it's okay. No, hard to have those now since he's dead. True. I wasn't going to go there, Paul, but you're kicking us off on a dark path. Let's jump right into it. Let's turn this around, Adam. Happier path. Uh, three stories. So we circled three stories we wanted to talk about. They're important to us. They're, we think they're important to everybody in the channel as well. So we'll dive right in. The first one is building a partner ecosystem. Here are four must-haves to make it work. And this is from channelfutures.com. And I read the article and I, you know, Adam, I put together this podcast. I edit it, but you are you are very involved in the channel. You helped get it going at Quest. So I, while these four kind of sounded interesting to me, I was very curious if they resonated with you. If you're like, yes, this is 100% the four steps to create a partner ecosystem. As I was reading it, some of it seems very kind of pie in the sky that maybe everybody in a par partner ecosystem isn't going to act like this. So Adam, your insight uh, is invaluable. Well, so if there's a partner ecosystem, I think there's two ends of the spectrum you gotta you gotta take a look at now we always talk about shows that we like to watch and things like that well i'm re-watching narcos again speaking of positive good consciousness well so so narcos is a story if you will about a federation of drug traffickers who who band together and figure out a way to create the first cartel a tale as old as time tale as old as time that is a partner ecosystem of some sorts and then that's a little bit rough Okay, that's a little rough, and and it, it talks a little bit about the way things, you know, motivations of people, who's doing what, customer relationships, distribution with certain people in Colombia, all those types of things are really important. And then then there's articles like this that are probably a little bit more on the positive side of the mm -hmm. of the spectrum. So the first thing that they talk about in this article is their ecosystem members that share their customer relationships. That's a great concept and a great avenue for partnership. But I think when you're sharing customer relationships, one thing you got to be really kind of conscious of is it takes a long time to develop new new customers. It takes a very long time to develop 
relationships and positive relationships with those customers. And you're, you always got to kind of be cautious about who you're inviting to the party. So there can be hesitation around that. This article calls out a little bit about that, but you don't necessarily want to invite someone into your partner relationship or your customer relationship that is going to burn a bridge or cause drama or maybe not do what they say they're going to do. We always ask clients and partners, hey, you know, why do you think you know, we're a good fit here? What do you, how would you like to engage here? What's the end state you're looking for? A lot of feedback we get after doing this for about 12 years is, hey, you guys do what you say you're going to do. And if something goes wrong or if something goes sideways, you resolve it. So that's, that's some of the feedback we get. Not everything in the ecosystem is perfect. Not everything's mm -hmm. narcos, but not everything's always perfect. And it's really how do you evaluate who you're going to involve in your customer relationships? That's the gold of the channel really is, is those customer relationships. You mentioned Narcos, which makes me think of Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And please go with me on this metaphor. You mentioned inviting somebody to the party. And as we all know, Ace Ventura goes to a party looking for a dolphin, causes mayhem, causes havoc, wasn't supposed to be at this party, which I think connects to what you're saying. Hey, be sure you know who's coming to the party. Be sure you vet them. Make sure they're a good fit or else you're going to have an Ace Ventura situation. Powerful metaphor. And, you know, 20 years ago, definitely a funny movie. Pretty sure a lot of people would get canceled for that movie today. But not funny. The, the, the dolphins are actually competing these days and might actually go to a playoff game and might shank a kick and not have laces out, which could lead to <laughs> potential dolphin kidnappings in 2023, 2024. You never know. I think you're raising a lot of good issues there. So ecosystem members share their customer relationships. And number two, ecosystem members collaborate in creating products and services. How did you feel about this one? I, I feel like this does kind of tie into the way Quest approaches services. Does this same situation happen in a lot of ecosystems with partners? Yeah. So the gentleman who wrote this is, is from, a, I believe, from a security group. And the security groups and security providers can sometimes be dependent on other parts of the IT puzzle hmm. to really deliver something of value. So I think he's kind of talking about like, okay, I got this piece of software. I need to talk to this piece. I have these users. I need them to report into this monitoring software, right? So he's, he's talking a little bit about collaborating on the actual products that are going to be delivered to the customers. Whereas Quest, we're a system integrator, right? So our whole job, oftentimes when customers bring us into things is, They've already purchased a lot of these products and maybe that ecosystem wasn't as fully baked out as they hoped it was. So we maybe need to tie multiple vendor systems together to get that collaboration. So mm. absolutely that ecosystem members, you know, need to collaborate in creating products and services. I don't think they always get there as much as they maybe would like to, mm -hmm. but that, that creates a great opportunity to, for organizations like ours to to basically help them with that integration, right? This database is talking to this CRM or this ERP system is reporting these metrics to the CFO, data visualization projects, all sorts of things people always want. That's where a lot of that collaboration comes in. And so I feel like it ties really closely to number three, which is ecosystem members are willing to form joint value propositions. Yeah, so everybody rowing in the same direction. That's one of the things I, I appreciate about this article is, hey, why are we here? You know, mm -hmm. what are we trying to achieve? Let's cut down to it pretty quickly. We have vendors come in and present to us all the time. I present to partners all the time about different things that, that Quest can provide their team. 
hey, we're here to make money. We're here to help customers. And let's boil that down. If you can't explain that in a simple way, your partnership's probably going to have some challenges. I was at the uh, conference last week and there was a gentleman describing some type of cryptocurrency to me. And I, I appreciate those types of opportunities and people describing those things to me. But if you can't describe your value proposition and how you're going to solve a problem and make money, you know, pretty clearly and concisely, I don't think it's fully baked. Mm. And I think you're going to burn a lot of time and money. As we're recording this, there was a, a giant Bitcoin and a cryptocurrency exchange that is going bankrupt for uh, basically being a Ponzi scheme, allegedly. And uh, that's fun right now. But if you if you can't figure it out or describe something in a, in a simple format, you're probably going to... Uh, not want to jump into that partnership too quickly. So number three, keep those joint value propositions easy to understand. And number four, governance, model, and business plan together. What does that look like, Adam? Yeah, if you can't spot the sucker at a poker table in the first half hour or 15 minutes, it's you. So uh, just be careful with that. Try to describe the value prop for everybody involved pretty quickly and pretty uh, in plain English as much as you can. And I, I definitely stole that from, I think, Tombstone. Or I forget where I stole that from. But I got I have it on my wall in my office. We are all about the films today. I Just... love movies, man. I love movies. There's a lot of there's a lot of wisdom in film. You gotta gotta pay attention to the nuggets that are out there. Much like this podcast. A lot of wisdom in this podcast, a lot of wisdom in film. It's all over there, Paul. It's all over there. Any any final thoughts about this article? No, I I mean they close it up pretty well as far as customer focus. So if you're reading through the article or you're checking it out. The customer is always kind of the, the the guiding principle as far as what they're trying to achieve. And if you can help them achieve that through partnership, you know, that's a great way to start building out your ecosystem is helping achieve and delivering business outcomes. I do think that Bob made a really good point here that he's like, whether it's B2B or B2C or B2B2C, it's always about people and decision makers and big ticket buyers at largest enterprises are still people with hierarchies and human needs and a hunger to feel a sense of purpose at their work. I don't know if that's a little too kumbaya for you, Adam, but the, the feeling of sense of purpose at work, I do think that's pretty important. Paul, you can never be too kumbaya for me. You know me. I'm all feelings, all high emotional intelligence. Just That's true. Just loves just love strumming the guitar and hanging out with people. That's me all day long. Adam Burke to a T. Our our next our next story we want to jump into is Channel Vision magazine, the morphing MSP model. Okay, so I don't know your thoughts on this, but I'm going to just kind of like launch into it. The thing that makes me laugh is when two different ideas are presented and one is presented as like, well, it's kind of like hell. Uh, and the second one is kind of like walking on clouds. But I mean, you can choose whichever path. I clearly understand that it's not really a decision. You're kind of pushing me in one direction. I, that's just kind of the vibe I got from this article while I was reading it. How dare you? How dare you allege that someone might have an underlying motivation? I'm sorry, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I noticed a bit, of a, a bit of a slant too, but... but ex I think I'm being a little dramatic, but so Technology and Service Industry Association broke it down to MSPs 1.0 and MSPs 2.0. And a 1.0 MSP, according to Technology and Service Industry Association, I'm just gonna say TSIA for short, offers predominantly customized solutions, tends to embrace some complexity and employs a more resource intensive delivery model 
Their engagements are supported by labor-intensive manual operations. The MSP 2.0, meanwhile, focuses on standardized offerings, standard delivery operation models, and employs software-driven digital delivery capabilities. So obviously I'm being very dramatic. I get where they're kind of leaning. They're like, hey, move, move to the cloud. Don't customize stuff because customization is slow and you can't scale it. Yeah, I was I was chuckling a little bit about that too because it definitely um, as you go through the article it does kind of show some some areas of growth and some model one versus model two and investing in standardized practices and scaling is certainly something that a lot of a lot of manufacturers, software providers, and the large people out there that kind of want you to carry the flag forward for for their brand would love people to do. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what the channel is. The channel is, hey, I'm going to invest and understand a couple solutions and then I'm going to go evangelize them to the marketplace. That's, I'd say, what a big percentage of the channel is, is going to do. They're going to understand, okay, these are the Gartner Magic Quadrant. Here's the top right. Here's the four solutions that, you know, got the best rating in, in Gartner, however they did that. And we're going to go evangelize those solutions to our partners and to our customers and, and build an MSP practice around something we can scale, 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 and, uh, and roll out to as many people as possible. Nothing wrong with that. It's definitely a strategy. And correct me if I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll cut this out because I, I want to really retain that I sound smart. <laughs> I feel like Quest, a lot of the growth has come from the ability to customize. And, and I'm not trying to make this sound like a Quest commercial, but Quest customizes and can really adapt to what the customer needs. And it's just made me laugh because they're like, well, customization isn't a way to growth. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of working for a company that does that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great chart about halfway down and it shows, hey, you know, new revenue growth for, if you have a standard service catalog, 80% of the respondents said, yes, and 20% said no. And then, and then it kind of you know guides the reader to new revenue growth. For those who said yes, grew by 19%. Those who said no, grew by 6%. And those who said yes, that we have a standard service catalog, operating incomes grew by 15%, or their operating incomes were 15%. Mm -hmm. And those who said no were 10%. And then the last little nugget there was, for those who had a standard service catalog, their revenue retention, meaning basically year over year, how many of their clients are they keeping, right? If they had a million dollars last year, those who said yes are at 94 and those who said no were at 88%. So those are all kind of, um, you know, statistics and statistics are great. And, I, you know, liars figure and figures lie. You can manipulate data to say whatever you want, but I don't agree. I don't disagree that a standard service catalog can help you scale. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, not everybody fits that mold. I believe you can have a little bit of both. Right? So I don't know if it's MSP 1.0 versus 2.0, or if there's some, some combination of both where you can have your standard offerings, right? You can have your standard backup, your infrastructure, your data center, your, you know, how much is a, a CCIE engineer cost in, in New York City and how much does a application development consultant cost for a for a six month project? Those are all your standardized building blocks. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be some custom stuff over here that eighty percent of your model hits, and you know maybe their twenty percent needs to be a little bit little bit custom. And that's just a that's just a decision. I think that every firm's got to make. Some of our greatest partnerships 
have come from organizations that have standard service catalogs, but there are some adjacent services that their customers would really like them to support that they don't, they call us in to help augment what they're doing. I think that's kind of the beautiful thing about partnerships and the channel is that you can fill those gaps that you might have and still be able to do business with a particular client. Yeah. The the digital marketplace, the access to talent, the remote workforce, like there is no reason you can't address, you know, a complicated, complex need. But that has to be your business model. If your if your business model is no no, no I gotta I have these five things and I gotta scale these five things then you don't have time to slow down to talk to someone about what they're trying to do. You got to mm-hmm. go find the next one. You got to go find the next one. It's just a different it's just a different strategy and it's not it's not right or wrong, but if you're building an organization to scale and then be sold, I feel like half of these articles are around people who want to scale and then flip. Yeah, it did feel like the whole point was to scale as fast as possible mm-hmm. in the article and I was like, "Well, maybe that's like you said, maybe that's not your goal." Yeah, if that's not your goal and, you know, you want to have a longer term strategy, you know, you can, it, it really just depends what you want to invest in, where you want to spend your time. I thought it was interesting that they were talking about in the opening paragraph, they talk about how some MSPs are transitioning more to like a, a traditional sales agency or cloud brokerage firm than an mm-hmm. IT organization. Mm-hmm. I felt that was interesting. I, I don't know what Mr. Martin Villaboy Villaboy, good last name. I didn't. I don't know what his background is, but it was interesting to see that he was kind of saying that you know the MSP version two is transitioning into that sales agency and, and broker model. You know, we mm. saw that last week at the at the summit we were at, and we've seen it at shows before. MSPs and IT organizations that traditionally sold hardware and specific monitoring solutions. They're branching off into unified communications. They're branching off into carrier data center operations, all sorts of non-traditional agency type roles, right? Where the hybrid ones are, are kind of playing in both camps. They're, they're selling what they can sell and they're also brokering what they can. Mm. I also want to mention, Adam, again, you are the one who said there is no wrong path. Embracing all paths. There is no wrong well, there, there's there's definitely wrong. There's definitely wrong and right. But there's there's the idea of if you're going to build a model, you know, this article speaks specifically to a certain type of MSP mm-hmm. and a certain strategy. And if you're gonna if you're gonna adhere to that strategy, here's some good nuggets to do that. The only challenge I have with articles like this is it doesn't talk about the risks to building a stool with a certain set of legs and bases, right? Because if you get one of these things wrong. So let's talk mm-hmm. about diversification a little bit. If you build your business model on five key service offerings and and then kind of because kind of it kind of talks to like, well, you got to standardize, you got to optimize and you got to you got to roll out a scalable, a scalable product model. Well, what if you miss? What if you invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in a, or millions of dollars in a certain path and well, shoot, no one wanted to buy that. No one really kind of talks about the downside to those types of strategies, which I think is equally as important to consider when you're looking at these these scalable strategies what's who's buying this who's paying you for this what's the need driving this other than well people who respond to this and gave the complete full and accurate truth on their revenue numbers because no one ever fluffs those they're all going this way too oh cool 
well, Peter Piper's running towards the cliff. Let's go follow him up. You know, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to be a total lemming here. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I can, I can cynical it up for you if you need me to, Paul. I can definitely throw some more <laughs> cynicism in here. Adam, I believe in your ability. I believe in your ability, but I think you're making a good point. Don't put all your stool legs in one basket. Yes, I think that's a Biff Tannen reference. Yep, yep. So make like a tree and get the hell on to the next article. Can we take a second and talk about the cryptocurrency and what's going on with FTX right now? That is a wild story. Good old Sammy of FTX is just hiding out in the Bahamas right now. He's hiding out in the Bahamas. I think he, he bought, I think he bought like, I don't know, 20 or 30, like multi-million dollar condos out there, which, you know, for a 32 year old guy or 35 year old guy isn't weird at all. He was estimated to be worth $23 billion. I guess what happened was, and if you look online, there's a couple different charts of all the different areas that, that the firm was connected to, but allegedly he was taking like depositors money and and then funneling the those deposits into a hedge fund called i think it was called alameda and mm. then doing le- and then leveraging that capital without the depositors oh, being aware of it and making and making bets so this was like this was like bernie madoff style but bernie madoff was a ponzi scheme and this guy rather than just stealing people's money and buying big boats and things like in, in cool New York apartments, apparently they placed bets and leveraged up additional coins. So, and then that leverage on those additional coins and assets, it like inflated those prices. So it was like a, it was oh. like a double Ponzi. It was like a double Ponzi scheme. Like he used people's money that they deposited in FTX, funneled it to Alameda leveraged that money with other people's money and made additional bets, which then pumped up the assets that were in FTX. So it was kind of this self-licking ice cream cone scenario that eventually, once the leverage broke, it all kind of started falling apart. And then there was a hack over the weekend that another $450 million disappeared, which, you know, honestly, for the firm claiming bankrupt, the fact that they still had $450 million is quite impressive because they're supposed to have like no money. Yeah, And then this actually could be a good thing for like cryptocurrency and like that whole market, because it's kind of a lot of people are going to say like, hey, government needs to get involved in regulation and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Like, well, this is also the market just kind of weeding out its own situation, right? So it kind mm-hmm. of self-identified. It's costing a lot of people a lot of money, but it did identify some some shenanigans going on. And I don't see how this guy doesn't go to jail. We'll We'll, we'll see. I mean... Yeah. But. Have you ever thought about investing in Bitcoin? So I bought, I jokingly bought a fraction of a coin. I opened a Coinbase wallet like a year ago. Oh. And I did, I didn't buy at the exact top, but I did, I think I did throw about a thousand bucks into the market. I'll, I'll check my Twitter feed because I jokingly twit, like jokingly put out there like, Hey, I finally bought a couple like fractions of a coin. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry for everyone who's invested, but this probably marks the top. Uh, it wasn't quite the top. I think it was around 40 grand a Bitcoin when I bought in and then it went to 60 and then it, it's like, it, it's like it's 16 grand now. You're the canary in the coal mine. I had an army buddy who was like, damn it, Burke, you, you just completely screwed us. I'm like, yeah, probably did. But it was, a. I think I put about a thousand bucks in there messing around with a coin, a Coinbase uh, wallet. So yeah. good times. Good times. Yeah. For all the IRS agents listening, uh, I never cashed out of it and I made no capital gains whatsoever. So please go ahead and forget about that. (laughs) There you go. Adam, hey, thanks for sitting down talking cryptocurrency. We went all over the place in this conversation. Movies, cryptocurrency, uh, how to create an ecosystem, 
channel information, anything you'd like to plug. For anyone listening and for anyone who checks this out, I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show, but we are having our partner forum at nine o'clock Pacific time on the 16th. So this is probably going to drop tomorrow on the 15th of November, but uh, we have the partner forum. We'll put the registration link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Would love for you, any of our partners to hop on, learn a little bit more about what we're doing. Uh, a couple of success stories, what we're hearing customers ask for help with and areas where we can help grow each other's businesses. So kind of along the lines of our first topic of the day around the ecosystem, would love anyone who's available to hop on. And I think we're even, you know, I was in a fraternity, Paul, I'm not against paying for friends. We are paying <laughs> 25, we are paying $25 to any quest partners who, who hop on in a, in an e-gift card to listen to the partner forum and learn a little bit more about, about quest. So if you do have some time, would love to uh, have you join us on the 16th at 9 a.m. Pacific for the Quest Partner Forum. 25 bucks. I might jump on. You're, you don't count. Oh, Bye. all right. Well, this was fun. Adam, thanks for joining me. Everybody listening, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. The Incident Report is brought to you by Quest Technology Management. With over 40 years of experience, Quest is a leading technology integrator working seamlessly with your staff and systems to achieve your IT goals. Learn more about everything they do at questsys.com. And if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, you can always email Adam and myself at theincidentreport at questsys.com. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.